All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan, Monday off and running. Get your wake and rake submissions in. Guess what? It's the first day of spring. It don't feel like it. But that's really great. Doesn't that make you smile? It does. The first day of spring, Has we this made winter been it. longer than yes, normal, it's been normal winters? No, actually, it's been fine. It's just like we get dumped for like three days of sadness, and then it's like, oh, it springs around the corner. And then it's another generational storm but i'm just letting you know it's officially the first day of spring it felt like it waited to get cold like it was never cold the whole winter and then last now weekend it was like, like hey oh, get man. it all out march come on uh yeah we're almost there though that is sign that is a nice sign mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. first day of spring the birds will be chirping is always nice it's always nice having our next guest on frank saravalli nhl insider president of hockey content dailyfaceoff.com <laughs> frank excuse me are you feeling that spring vibe is it in the air for you uh, it feels like it has been for a while here. Not really like warming up in Philly temperature wise, but I got to tell you, it, this has been such a wild winter. We didn't have one centimeter of snow what? for the like in the first time that I can remember. What? I mean, we yeah. we did definitely. We had like what? Yeah, we had like we had like five torrential storms. Yeah, we had like five storms. It didn't, shut down it, the city. We had five storms, and it didn't snow at any other point. It seemed <laughs> uh, so. We still have a lot of snow on the ground, but it's just like ice now that's frozen over. But I'm glad you had no snow. That's I mean, that's a positive unless you're like really really concerned about global warming. Then it's like it's or a big negative. Unless you're a, a snowplow <laughs> driver in Philly, like you're unemployed. Yes, unless you sign the well, contract, and it doesn't matter how much mm. snow comes. See, this is the thing. My wife is really upset because for the first time ever, I bought a snowblower this year in October. Oh, is it still in the box? Like as soon as she's like, as soon as that happened, as soon as you brought it home, you clinched it not snowing here. Congratulations. I tell you what, I'll make that investment on the part of the GTA next year. I'll buy it. Even though I don't have much of a driveway to snowblow. If it means no snow, then I feel like I'd uh, bite the bullet there. Fading the snow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so, uh, you know, maybe there'll be no snow. Maybe you'll get through all the way. You're almost there. You're knocking on the door. Spring is upon us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're talking about lots of things to cover here. We'll start with the Leafs, though. We're talking in the opening block about how the, you know, the Leafs have had a decent run here. I think they're 4-3-1 and one in March. Uh, they beat a couple good opponents. They've been game against a couple good opponents. But they are 32 out of 32 in expected goals uh, at 5-on-5 five five in the month of March, the only team below 40%. Does that mean anything to you, or is it just a product of, hey, we're trying out new bodies, new lines, new pairings, and everything's sort of in flux, and when things are in flux, you're going to get uneven results? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me. I, I enjoy kind of watching and tracking the expected goals, but expected goals, as we know, don't equal actual goals, and when you have a couple games in the last week itself in which you hit five goals on the scoreboard itself. I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't register with me. Like the Leafs have also had a seven goal game this month. Like I'm, you know what I mean? I, I understand some of those are on the power play and, and you're relying on different things and different people. But for me, it's, it's not moving the needle in terms of a concern. No, and it probably shouldn't. It's a short sample, but I think maybe just explanations for 
uh, what we've seen because, you know, it's, it's difficult to integrate bodies. It's difficult to have a new line mate every single game. And I think it's just going to show from shift to shift performance. But if it doesn't show in the box score at the end of the game when you've won 5-3, then I guess that's a good thing. And it's really all that matters is getting to the point where you're putting together your best results and winning along the way is definitely a positive. I think the biggest positive, though, for the Maple Leafs is that Austin Matthews is starting to look like the Austin Matthews of last year. Uh, he's still maybe hard-pressed to get himself 40 goals, which is a bit of a shocker. Uh, but he's playing well here with Callie Gernkroak of late and looking like his dangerous self. If you look at the expected goals for him, not much of an issue lately. Uh, things have been good for the Leafs' top center. Do you see Matthews coming out of it just a little bit? I do, uh, and I've been waiting for it. Like I've been one of those people sort of all season long saying, what's, what's wrong with this guy? What happened? Why hasn't he been the typical threat that he's been his entire career? Where has the effortless assassin goal scoring been? And I think we finally got a little bit of an explanation last week from Jonas Siegel with his story in the athletic, just, you know, I think we thought there might be an issue with the hand, but for him to finally confirm it and then say that he feels like he's finally getting closer to being himself. I think that was a big deal and big story. And now if he can get back to that level, especially at the best time of the year, the perfect time of the year with the playoffs, you know, starting in just over three weeks from now, like you, you, that's, that's the perfect place to be. So, um, you know, certainly feels like he's getting closer to it. I think he has what four goals in his last six games that, you know, that's what you want to hear. If you're a Leaf fan is that, the person and player that you thought Austin Matthews has been his entire career to this point, it hadn't just gone away and no one thought that Austin Matthews woke up and forgot how to score goals this season. It was just, there wasn't that sort of, I think threat is the perfect word that just, you didn't feel like it was there in the way that it always was. Last Leafs one for you, Frank, Um, Matt Murray, Plays against his former team, finally. um, Gets 48 saves and a nine-round shootout victory. Maple Leafs were very much outshot and outchanced and outplayed in that game. Um, But Matt Murray gets an opportunity to kind of get a revenge win. Uh, Even though it's a six-straight game with four-plus goals, he might be entering the goaltender battle between him and Samsonov heating up again. We obviously talk about this all the time here in the Toronto market. I'm curious your perspective of it, a little bit removed, if it is as you know, tightly contentious of a battle between these two or if you uh, have already kind of seen that Samsonov has earned this spot. Yeah, there's, there's what battle? There is no mm-hmm. battle. Like if you're looking purely based on results, if you're taking the salary cap out of the picture – um, there, there is no battle. Mm-hmm. You know, Ilya Samsonov is this team's game one starter, period, end of story. You know, why? I don't even understand the debate. Like, the numbers aren't close. The eye test isn't close. Um, and, and, look, I think it's, it's good for Murray to have a game like that. It was kind of weird how he downplayed the entire you know, playing against the Sens thing again, like I get it, you know, you move on at a certain point and he's been here for the bulk of the year, but to have a night like that where you're peppered with shots, you know, even if you give up four for, as you said, the sixth time in a row that you at least can, you know, walk out of there with a win after that crazy shootout. (laughs) 
hopefully that's a confidence builder. And I think that's an important thing. Like I'm not downplaying the importance of Mary because he could be critically relied upon for this team, either in case of injury or in case of, of faulty play or shoddy play from Samsonov in the playoffs. But for me, I don't even think it's a debate. Yeah, but we'll keep talking about it to fill the airtime here in Toronto and sure. see, <laughs> see how it goes down the stretch. Um, let's go to a former Maple Leafs goaltender, um, Reimer, who made some headlines on Saturday deciding to decline to wear their team's pride-themed jerseys based on his Christian beliefs. Now, he came out before the game and explained the reasoning be- behind deciding not to wear it, um, then was obviously not put in warm-up and was backing up. This is now the second instance of a player this season not wearing the pride jersey with uh, Ivan Provorov. So I wonder how and if you think the NHL is going to find a way to address players not wearing pride jerseys. There's still a lot of teams that have pride games down the stretch, Maple Leafs being one of them. Um, How they go about this, if they do even find a way to, you know, uh, at least just be prepared for the PR situation that might occur. Yeah, I think they've addressed it in the way that they feel comfortable addressing it, that you know, I think it was the league earlier this season, right after Provorov came out with his sort of his statement saying, you know, essentially their their motto and push has been if, if hockey truly is for everyone, then it's also for people who feel this way about it and want to stand on whatever moral or principle that they have. Um, even as recently as the GM meetings last week, Gary Bettman I think his quote was something, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of, this is not all that dissimilar to when you're asked by a charity like, or, or asked by someone to donate to a charity and you say, no, no, like I, I already donate to three charities and these are the ones that I feel you know, important, are important to me. Just because you say no to that fourth charity doesn't mean that you don't support them or their cause, just that that's how, you know, you're going about your business. And so I don't, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that sentiment or statement. Mm -hmm. Uh, The league understands that each player has a choice and a right to, to do and, and handle themselves however they see fit. I also don't really necessarily understand it from James Reimer's perspective, either standing on the uh, religious beliefs aspect. Um, I, I mean, uh, without getting too deep into the weeds here, like if you actually read the Bible, like you'd get a sense that that's probably not how Jesus would handle it. Uh, but uh, maybe that's lost on on him and some others. If you really want to go by the exact letter of the law to me, um, if you really love all communities, you'll wear the Jersey for 15 minutes and Jesus will still love you. And we'll leave it at that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, Ailish asking about the NHL, and now I guess you know mentioning other teams that are dealing with it and team by team sort of approach to this because unfortunately the Pride Nights that are being um, celebrated have become sort of a referendum on mm-hmm. the topic with people now given a chance to I guess protest without you know willingly protest or you know going out of their way beforehand to protest. Anyway, that's sort of besides the point. I want to ask I you. I like about, that the Sharks, by the way, though. Like that, they, that's what I wanted to ask they, you. 
Uh, I wanted yeah. to ask you about how the Sharks dealt with this because, yeah, they put James Reimer on his island. You got to explain yourself. You, we're getting ahead of this. We're not going to not wear the jerseys. You get to make your decision, and we are going our way with this. And they had a full-on celebration. They did a lot, and they deserve a lot of credit for mm-hmm. what they had planned. And I think they do deserve some credit because they didn't denounce it. They didn't denounce Reimer. They didn't denounce his opinions, but they went forward with everything, and they celebrated anyway without him. And at least in my eyes, you get some credit for that. Yeah, I think the unfortunate part is that the game itself and the the message, it became a lightning rod for criticism again. It became, instead of the story being about these are the 23 things that the Sharks, you know, did well to celebrate Pride Night, it was all about James Reimer. And I think, you know, everyone kind of loses focus and wants to talk about one person in, in particular as opposed to um, – really grasping the message at hand. And I like that they didn't just cower here and say, you know what, because he doesn't want to participate, we're not going to wear the jersey and we're going to just pretend like it never happened. They worked through the process. They they got a designer to help them with the jersey, from, I believe, from the queer community that they, they were really proud of. Um, they they had the jersey on display, they wore it, and they said, you know what, if you don't want to participate, that's fine, but we're not going to bury this because of you. We're not going to shield you and protect you, and you're going to have to answer for this on your own. And look, um, that's his right, and he answered for it, and like it, hate it, love it, whatever you think of it, that's his, that's his right too. And the Sharks, meanwhile, said, that's great, but we're moving on and doing it anyway. And so I, I do think they deserve a whole host of credit for that. And and the Flyers, I think they're, it happened so quickly, and they their messaging was pretty poorly tackled and done uh, because they were reactive and how that all played out. But basically what the Sharks were able to do was what teams like the Flyers tried to do and didn't handle all that well because of the way that it unfolded, surprising some people. And in fact, the Flyers hockey offside, not actually being in touch with the business offside that made that entire rollout more difficult. But that's kind of what the Flyers tried to do from the beginning was like, Hey, we're not going to let this get in the way of our night. It's just that they were the first team to go through it. Yeah. The San Jose Sharks deserve a lot of credit for how they put out their, you know, their celebration and uh, their Twitter feed is really great too. They, instead of tweeting out live play by play of the game, they tweeted out a lot of facts and information sharing um, on the LGBTQ plus community. And I just thought it was really well done. And they dealt with that little PR uh, nightmare in a sense in the best way possible. Um, let's talk about the Sens. So sounds like after the NHL GM meetings last week, uh, Gary Bettman shared that there's at least one bid for the Ottawa Senators exceeding $900 million, um, maybe about 925 as Frege said, um, 32 thoughts. So my, I guess my question is, like, what happens next? Like, how do they start weeding out offers? Um, how long is this timeline? Is that Ryan Reynolds' group? <laughs> because he sold a, a company uh, last week, I guess he had major shares in for, like, one point something uh-huh. billion. So, you know, we're starting to have the eyeballs emoji over here. Yeah, I think everyone was kind of looking at Ryan Reynolds, like, of course, a wealthy guy, but also as sort of the face of whatever ownership group would come in. And also, you know, not necessarily from a money perspective, but from like a charisma and attention and enthusiasm perspective, you know, sort of the ringleader, not necessarily the 
financial muscle, so to speak, that he now has uh, some really significant capital, I think, you know, is interesting. I don't think that was ever really a huge part of the bid. We'll see. Um, but I, I think it's much more than one bid as part of the process moving forward. I, I think there was somewhere between four and five um, that are sort of advancing on to this next stage, whatever that looks like. And so where that ends up, um, it's kind of anyone's guess as to who is the winning bid and also for how much, because that's sort of part of the process <clears throat> is I, I don't know the exact specifics, but I, my understanding of it is that it's like, okay, your bid was selected to move on. Now you need to enter your next bid, the next round of bidding in the process. And I'd assume that that means increasing or upping your bid um, which in some cases, maybe you're even bidding against yourself. I don't know how that works, but it would kind of be fascinating to be part of. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch what happens down the stretch here. Over $900 million. you got to think some owners will be thinking about uh, maybe retirement sooner than later because that is a big, big number for the Ottawa Senators and a good position for the NHL to be in that a team like Ottawa can go for that price tag. Uh, so good things I mean, for this Ottawa. is the 25th ranked franchise in, in typical valuations. If that's what that team is getting, that not all that long ago, people saw in the four two years ago, saw in the $400 million range. I know there's a real estate play as part of this, mm-hmm. not necessarily a hundred percent tied to it, but that's, that's an incredible number. Massive, massive number. Uh, good things for the NHL for sure. Um, so Jordan Bennington unavailable over the weekend because he was suspended. But I think the people, even in St. Louis, the p- thing that most people were upset about is that uh, Biddington didn't actually get to fight Marc-Andre Fleury because the linesman jumped in there so soon. Is that like a mandate to prevent the goaltenders from fighting? Is it because the helmets were off? Like what all went into that? And have we seen the last of goalie fights because the officials have given, have been given a mandate to try and stop that if, if it does come to fruition? I'm not aware of a specific mandate. I don't know exactly why that one was stopped. The helmets could have been part of it for Mm. sure, but how else are goalies supposed to fight each other? Like their helmets are different than anyone else. You kind of have to take your helmet off. You know, could you imagine you're punching the guy in the throat dangler? Like, come on, that doesn't work. Um, Look, I, I think everyone, and I'm sure linesmen everywhere, were sitting there over a beer watching that, second guessing themselves, saying, would I have let them go? Like, surely I would have been the guy that would have said, go ahead, green light special. You know, we all want to see this. And I love that Flurry was mic'd up for it because, he, you know, you could hear him pleading his case. Like, come on, oh, come on, let us go. Let us, this will be, he actually said, this will be fun. This will be good for the game. So uh, that was kind of awesome to see it and just a little insight into his personality as well. Um, but I, I'm not aware of a mandate. I, I do think we'll see it again at some point. I think you know, what sticks in the back of everyone's mind is some of the other goalie fights in which one of them might not have been as willing of a participant. Um, so I, I'm holding out hope that we'll see them, and I'm, I'm sure at some point uh, we will. I guess 
what I hope we don't see again is the continual fake tough guy act from Jordan Bennington. I was going to say. <laughs> really tired of that. If, if anyone's in the fight, someone's got to be punching him um, just to say, hey, if you want to talk the talk, let's see what you got, buddy. Um, but we'll see if that happens. Too many times now. It's like almost just like, let me at him, let me at him. And then like as he's getting close, he's like, hold me back. Like that's just, <laughs> It feels like that over and over again for him. How yeah. many times are you going to, you know, with your antics, as Craig Burby said, you know, there, first off, there's no fooling him. Like he's one of the legit tough guys uh, mm-hmm. ever. And if you spend any time around him, like he is legitimately a physically intimidating guy to be around. Trust me. I know from experience it, it's to, to have him on your bench, sort of turning a side eye at that. That would keep me awake at night if I was Jordan Bidding. <laughs> yeah, he's becoming the ultimate heel, but I don't think uh, people are loving the act. Uh, let's let's keep talking about fighting then. He, um, wait, by the way, is he the most hated yes. <laughs> player in the NHL at this exact moment? I, in time? I think so. Like, Brian Marchand has been, but it's also like, you know, he you respect him a little bit too because he puts up and he's also, you know, a pretty good hockey player. Because he's actually good? Yeah, yeah, he's a good hockey player. But Pennington, is just, it's gotten old real quick, and I think people are... Certainly, certainly over it. Um, the QJMHL appeared uh, revealed that they're going to ban fighting starting next season. They're not quite sure exactly the process behind it in terms of what punishment would be, et cetera, but trying to at least eliminate it black and white from the game. I'm wondering where you stand on this and if it's going to be a trickle effect with uh, development leagues throughout, I guess, um, Canada and maybe into the United States. I like it. Um, I'm typically actually a a proponent of fighting. Like I have no issue with it and take definitely more of a traditional route. I think in junior hockey, that's a whole different ball game though, than fighting in the NHL or AHL. Um, When you're asking and putting 15 year olds and 16 year olds on the spot to do it. And they feel like they have to and or need to, to carve out a career for themselves. I think that's not something we should be doing. And it's not just, Um, you know, from a a pure health and safety perspective, physically, it's also, I think, important from a mental perspective, a mental health perspective that um, I think to have these players go through their game day routine, to have them go through the actual game itself and not have that fear sort of um, in the back of their minds of, do I have to answer the bell? Are my teammates and my team going to think differently of me if I don't? I think that's a really important consideration Um, because that's, these are teenagers, like that's not what we should be doing, but for legitimate professionals, players that have, you know, worked their way through the ranks, so to speak. And if they're going to drop the gloves, like by all means, go ahead. Um, I've never been super concerned about fighting from a concussion perspective, just because the data doesn't really support it. And I am always wary of concussions, but I think something like between 8 and 13% of all concussions come from fighting. It's it's a decent enough number, but not to the point where, like, you know, 76% of all fights result in a concussion. Not, it's really typically nothing like that. So um, I don't think there's going to be any effect upwards. But what I do think is there's an overall change to this game coming from a youth hockey perspective on up and just anecdotally being in the rink a lot, coaching youth hockey. um, I think the game is changing in a significant way. And you see this in college hockey too, from a physicality perspective that it's so fast 
that you really risk taking yourself out of position to really lay a big check. There are no big hits anymore. Um, and I think that's changing in a real way from, you know, minor hockey on up that I think the game is going to be so much less physical, even at the NHL level five years from now than it is right now, because players, it's just not a priority. Like it, it's kind of getting back to the, the, the regular general idea of, of playing the game, which is the whole point of throwing a check is to separate player from puck. And players have figured out now through coaching and, and development that sometimes the most efficient way to do that is just stick on puck. Yeah, apparently fighting in the queue down like to historic levels too. So this wasn't just like an abrupt change. This is something where they're following trends and the trends certainly point to that being weeded out of the game uh, pretty, pretty, not even slowly, like pretty demonstrably, uh, it seems. But Max Domi had an interesting quote saying 99.9% of NHL players would say fighting is, quote, crucial in junior hockey. That just might be a generational gap. Somehow we're already in a generational gap with, with Max Domi. Uh, maybe it was part of his brand. Why but... would it matter? I don't even understand the quote. Like, why, why would it be crucial in junior hockey as opposed to any other level of hockey? Yeah, when we were having this debate last week, like we couldn't come up with a player. Arbor Jacki was the closest. We were like, oh, f- the potential for fighting or fighting ability helped him get to the NHL. We couldn't really think of a name. And then one of our listeners mentioned Arbor Jacki, but that was end of list for me. Like it doesn't help you, I don't think, get to the NHL anymore. If you can fight, maybe a nice little bonus, but it's not something that's going to get you there anymore. Depends on the league. Like I would say that there are certainly players in the WHL that make a name for themselves based on their ability to fight. That's how they end up on someone's radar. But I don't think that's ever been a thing in the queue. And I think it's certainly way less of a thing in the OHL. Definitely. Definitely is a little rougher out there in the WHL. Uh, We haven't talked about the Blue Jackets, I don't think, at all with you all season. There's been very little reason to. But Mm -hmm. I, I feel like... I got to ask you about the misery and the last place nature of this season for the Blue Jackets who overshot expectations last year, were kind of sniffing around the playoffs last year, and now they are dead last in prime position for Connor Bedard, if you can be in prime position because there are no guarantees. Like, how did we get here with Columbus after bringing in Johnny Gaudreau? How are they the worst team in the league? Do they just have the Bedard buy-in that, say, the Chicago Blackhawks don't? I don't think it's by design, certainly, uh, to get the buy. And I think they're legitimately that bad. Uh, they're, they're asking that much of a lot of players that um, are filling out their lineup due to injury. Like, it's not just Zach Wierenski. It's also taking a 60-point player out of your lineup in Jacob Voracek. And for all the misery that this season has been, to sit here this morning and to look at the Connor Bedard sweepstakes and race, as you mentioned, like they've got almost double the odds of anyone else. And yeah, I understand that tanking isn't, uh, there's no perfect science to it, that there's still a 74.5% chance this morning that the Columbus Blue Jackets don't end up with Connor Bedard. The truth is there's still other franchise changing players that are available just beyond him in in the draft this year, that that's what makes it so tantalizing is if you can add, I don't know, Adam Fantilli to your group that already includes Ken Johnson. And, you know, you see the impact that uh, Sillinger is beginning to have as a really young player. And what makes you super excited if you're in Columbus is the defenseman that you have coming 
you know, David Yerichek was, you know, a lottery pick last year at number six. All of a sudden, you know, for as painful as this year has been, you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, depending on how this draft lottery plays out. Are they in a position to rebound and potentially get back closer to the playoffs next year? I think the answer is yes. But nonetheless, to your point, this is a team that spent $80 million last summer between Goudreau and Eric Branson to be closer to the playoffs, not in 32nd place. So the wheels have fallen off, but you don't really have to look much further than the current defense core that they're trotting out there. I mean, they kind of have one, two, maybe two bona fide NHL defensemen, Good Branson and Andrew Peak. And Peak has really struggled this year. I mean, geez, like it's it's uh it's pretty bleak on the blue line right now, but the good news is they have something coming. Is there a draftable top five defenseman that can get inserted in there next year to make a difference if they don't get Bedard? Honestly, I, I, next season, I don't know. Can Bedard play but, D? <laughs> probably. <laughs> I mean, Bedard could probably do anything, like the way that this season has gone for him. I, I just, what an eye-opener he's been. Because mm-hmm. um, I think everyone was kind of heading into World Juniors being like, eh. and And just from the scouts that I talked to, like, excellent franchise player, but not generational. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> every, the way <laughs> that... Well, yeah, the way that everyone's talking about him in scouting circles that I trust, it's he's not McDavid, but he's Austin Matthews level player. That's awesome. Yeah, we're we going to talk about him next because he's got a 70th goal of the season um, this weekend. So lots to share about him. It looks good if you're a bottom feeder team. Hopefully you can scoop him up. Frank, we kept you really long today. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next Monday. Have a great week, guys. Happy spring. That's Frank Saravelli, NHL Insider, President of Hockey Content at DailyFaceOff.com. Speaking of spring, just looking at the weather qu- quickly, a little double digit. Shut up. Celsius total. When? Later in the week here. You know what? I just, I want to have a bone to pick. Actually, I don't know. I just have a, a something to pick it. bring to light. Is this something to chew on or is no, this prior to us chewing? No, it's about what you're talking about. Okay. There is a certain subset of individual that the second the weather peaks over zero, put shorts on. Oh, I'm that guy. You're one of I those. love those guys. Buddy, it's there's still snow on the ground, frost on the windshield. A little air on the legs, even though but, even if it's crisp. What, I don't get it. I don't get it, but I see them all the time. There's going to be one today. It's going to be seven degrees, shorts weather for a bunch of folks. I haven't been that type of folk, but I'm interested in the, the process. The process. Like what goes on <laughs> in your brain that you're pulling out the shorts right away? I want to know. I just think we're shorts itching. guys. We're itching. They're shorts guys. This week is a big shorts guy week. And you know what? Last Last week I was driving home and not from the morning show from when I was leaving Tim and friends. It was like 7, 15 PM light out and people were having patio beers, but it was like with a little, like there's like a little fire outside, but nonetheless mm-hmm. patio beers are being consumed. And I thought things are happening. We're almost there. Things Shorts are guys here. are going to love this week. So, oh yeah, they'll be out in full force <laughs> Thursday. Um, all right. It's time for something to chew on brought to you by great Canadian meats. Yum, yum, yum. Let's keep talking about Connor Bedard continues to make History in his WHL season, he just scored a 70th goal of the season yesterday um, at a franchise record crowd of 14 plus thousand spectators. He's the first player to reach 70 goals since the 1718 season. Of course, he's going to be the first overall pick. Um, it's the first time someone's reached 140 points in WHL since 95, 96. 
He got uh, back-to-back hat tricks before his 70th goal on Sunday. He's just an incredible feat every single night. If you're looking to tank, I cannot believe that you aren't just putting out your ECHL roster at this point because he's incredible. A couple teams basically are. Uh, they did make the playoffs. They've clinched playoff positioning. Mm-hmm. The Regina Pass, there was some concern that they wouldn't even get there with Connor Bedard. I mean, he's probably not going to the Memorial Cup, which I wish he would because mm-hmm. that would have been a lot of fun if he wanted to trade. Uh, but he's a loyal guy, apparently. Sticking with Regina. We'll see what that uh, puts him in the NHL next year. But yeah, what a joy to watch. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I just... I've been talking about how good the NHL has been and how much better it's gotten in the last decade. This is just another added to the pipeline or another coming through the pipeline to really lift the bottom or I guess raise the ceiling for the NHL. Another superstar coming in, bona fide. Uh, you love to see it. Winner, anyone that wants Connor Bedard and is watching him from the wings, um, that'll be winners and losers losers on the other side of the break. Send in your wake and rake picks at 595-90. No Toronto sports tonight, but you have the WBC semifinal uh, between Mexico and Japan at 7 p.m. I'm thinking that's going to be an incre- another incredible one between these these guys. Uh, we thought Japan might be the team to watch this tournament, but Mexico has been absolutely incredible as well. We have NCAA March Madness, of course. Uh, we're going to take a look at the men's NCAA hockey bracket that was set. Uh, selection was completed. See where Matthew Nyes is going to shake out. So send in your picks at 595.90 from whatever you want today because it's just a, it's all parlay central over here. <laughs> Winners and losers on the other side of the break. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we got a text in from a shorts guy. Let's hear from all the shorts guys. Please, I I just want to hear, I want you to speak. J.D. and St. Catharines. I am shorts guy born in Saskatchewan raised in Northern Alberta. I've been in Ontario for 10 years and my body is still built for the cold. I wear shorts for work comfortably down to minus 15. You don't have organs in your legs. It's not a big deal. Remember the guy who got the opportunity to wear shorts again for the first time ever or his first time since the blue bombers had. Yes. I remember the story. He was like off pants until they won again, and mm-hmm. they finally won again, and they had him on camera, and he was, like, struggling to put his pants on. But he's like, what is it going on hilarious. here? It was hilarious. I forgot he, about that guy. He, he not only stopped wearing pants, but forgot how to put pants on. I want to find that story again because it was pretty amazing. But shorts, guys, it's your week. I think Josh is a shorts guy. No, he shook his head. Really? I, I, I would have also been like, yeah, I could see you being shorts guy. You know who is, and I just told you this during the break, Faisal Kamisa is the biggest shorts and hoodie guy. I, I will put this this week. You will see a tweet from Faisal Kamisa, our sports and talent, and he's going to say, we finally made it. It's shorts and hoodie season, folks. Like, I'm scripting it out right now. <laughs> he will tweet this this week about how it's hoodie and short season because he absolutely loves it. That's, like, just part of his DNA, loves shorts and hoodie season. So, I mean, we're, made pre- it. we're pretty lucky here. Like, we can kind of slum it out here. We both Except got hoodies Trish on. Comes in. I'm wearing... Uh, I was wearing sw- sweatpants around Trish Stratish. It was very... It was not a good call by me. I, I didn't realize it would be what it was. Uh, but we can kind of, you know, we can grind a little bit here in some casual clothing. Mm-hmm. But the TV people, like Faisal, they be don't going, mess around. He'll be no, he'll be going to work in hoodie and shorts because mm-hmm. he gets dressed at work. 
with the wardrobe and everything that goes into it. So he can be casual. He can be his best self on the way. If we have to, you know, if we're not wearing sweatpants, like we don't get dressed here. It's true. But I don't touch the outside air from my apartment to this building. I never touch the outside air. I thought that would be the worst. That's true. I thought the worst <laughs> thing about TV was like, okay, you have to like wear a suit in the car and like. Oh, they have a wardrobe room. I know. I didn't know. Do you think, you think Elliot Freeman's driving here in like. That's what I thought. He's button up and his three-piece vest. That's what I thought. No chance. I thought it'd be a nightmare. No well, way. I've had to dress up for some NHL games that I've covered. Yeah, but you're And different. it's just a nightmare. You're not the, you're not wardrobe worthy guy. Bring your own suit. No, it's only the confines of the television studio. If you're on, if you're working at an arena, you got to grind in the suit on the way there. You're not getting dressed there. Okay, quickly more shorts, guys. Um, morning shorts, guys usually have a leg tattoo. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew, Mississauga. But <laughs> women also wear skirts in yeah, like minus correlation 30. there. Uh, Dan from the bridge says, "Short guys, what are you trying to prove? Cavs might be pumped, but minimum twenty for shorts." All right, Dan, he knows. Minimum twenty. Okay, I, I think no. that's a bit much. Ten. 15 is the best for the, the hoodie and shorts. That's a bit warm. 15? Yeah. For hoodie? I'd love it to be 15. I don't remember the temperature anymore. All it is is cold. Okay. Uh, winners and losers are Monday tradition. Um, I want to start with two big winners in my world. Women's hockey. Wisconsin upsets Ohio State to win the NCAA women's hockey title yesterday. Um, it was a, a one nothing victory. I watched half of it. Nervy. And it was awesome. Um, the Ohio State was the first seed, uh, first overall seed, and they so they upset them. I think they were the sixth seed. Um, a pretty great game. Lots of future stars on that team. Great to see uh, a different a different win. But Badger seventh national title, so they broke a tie with Minnesota for most ever. Women's hockey wins of all time. And also with this weekend, uh, with the Women's Frozen Four, comes the Patty Kazmaier Award season. And this is such an honor to win. Of course, it's the equivalent of the Hobie Baker for women. Patty Kazmaier um, was awarded to Toronto's very own Sophie Jakes. Now, she's the first Ohio State player to ever win the honor and the second defenseman ever in history since 1998 to win. Um, she's also the first black woman to ever win the award. And a Toronto-born nice. girl. We're so excited. She's awesome. A defenseman to win the, the league's best is really, really difficult. Um, she put up points, 48 goals. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, 48 points, 24 goals. Um, she, unfortunately, they didn't win, but she was the only one nominated to the all-tournament team that was from Ohio State. So Can usually, we earmark her for 2026? Uh, I think you'll see, be seeing a lot of her. Um, and she's also pursuing a master's in civil engineering. And she's smart, okay. right? Who so, won that award in your senior year? Um, uh, someone from Clarkson, I think, um, one second. I thought you, it wasn't, I thought it would be like someone who's on the team now. Yeah, I'm going to be upset when I forget who it was. Uh, my senior year. Oh, Kendall coin. Ever heard of her? There you go. I thought it'd be a big name. (laughs) Junior year. You know it? Uh, no, uh, Alex Carpenter. So another American and then Jamie Lee Rattray. So she was, she was one of the years, um, that I was there. Amanda Kessel, Brianna Decker. There you go. So only the best of the best really win this award. So congrats to Sophie Jakes. So yeah, I think 2026 will be pretty safe assumption then. I think she'd be pretty great. So those are my two winners to start. Okay. Uh, I'm heavy baseball. The world baseball classic is a winner. You mentioned John Morosi saying over a million Mm -hmm. at the doors. Mm. 
for the World Baseball Classic, which has only been, well, we've seen like 20, 25 games max. I'm not even sure, but not that many. And there were a lot of people going to ball games that have been really, really fun. Randy Arozarena is in that winner category for me. He's been an absolute rock star at this tournament. Rock star for Mexico at the bat, in the field. There's kids in Mexico recreating his like, Arms crossed celebration, doing things like all around the country. Uh, he leads them to a victory over Puerto Rico in the quarterfinal. And as I mentioned in the 6 a.m. hour, he he's a Cuban defector, defected Cuba, lives in Mexico, uh, has built a family in Mexico. But and there's no like I don't think there's anything like really negative about Cuba, but he wants or wanted Cuba to beat the United States so that he could personally and with the help of his Mexican teammates take Mexico the or Cuba the com- country he was born in out at the World Baseball Classic himself. It was a pretty badass comment. Uh, it would have been cool if they got to that point, but mm-hmm. the United States rules through, and Mexico's got to beat Japan in order to get to the World Baseball Classic final. But Randy Arozarena has been a massive rock star at the tournament, and so has Trey Turner. A grand slam in on Saturday night in the quarterfinal to uh, prevent an upset loss to Venezuela. He hits two more home runs uh, in the semifinal yesterday, the win over Cuba. Uh, He's been unbelievable for the United States at the World Baseball Classic. A lot of standout performance and tops of the list for me, Turner and Rosarena. Anyone watching baseball winner right now, too, because it's been absolutely incredible. Um, I got two NCAA winners here. So um, first one is Eric Musselman. So I don't know if you saw. Oh, here's the divide. He's a loser for me. Go on. Okay. I could see it both ways. Maybe it's a good debate. So Arkansas upsets Kansas, number one seed, 72-71. And head coach Eric Musselman rips his shirt off and is doing the Pat Beverly, ripping it around in circles, hyping up the crowd. Mm -hmm. And a part of me is like, what an absolute beauty. But then a part of me is like, if that was my coach, I'd be so embarrassed. Like, if my... If that was my dad, I'd be so embarrassed. For sure. I just thought I was like, if that was anyone I've associated in my life, but winner, because that's the passion. That's March madness. You upset the number one seed Kansas and you're just so elated. You rip your tarp off. It's a JD Bunkus move. I'll tell you what it is. This is a guy who, who keeps himself in decent shape. I'll give him that. Oh yeah. But he wants people to know that he Mm, keeps himself in decent shape. Right. Remember Adam Schefter ripping his shirt off, doing the Kirk cousin thing. You know, I don't remember. You don't remember that. Oh, you're lucky that you don't know it, but you're going to have to look it up. Anyway, it's, I know this guy, it's the guy who works out middle-aged guy. And he, no one knows that they work out. He had the chains on. Yes. Yes, I remember that. But he wants everyone to know he works Mm. out. He wants everyone to know that he takes care of his body, that he chooses the salad over the fries. And that's Eric Musselman. He's trying to show off. He does that for a reason. He Mm. wants, I want to see the guy who's carrying an extra 20 pounds around the waist. I want to see that guy do that celebration. That is real and genuine. Eric Musselman just wanted to like flex that he's like 50 years old and not. I think he was also just fired overweight. up in no, the moment. No, that was, and th- th- that's the thing that bothers me. About, well, there's a couple of things that bother me about the NCAA. Like I heard like someone yesterday was like on his third school. Like, what is this? There's a 26-year-old playing in exactly. NCAA what, March Madness. What are we doing here? This is supposed to be I like. I could go back and play at yeah, this we're, point. We're not, it's gone so past the point. It's just like a minor league system, for, whatever. Whatever, but like coaches that takes too much of the shine, coaches that are the story when the kids should be the story. Okay. Eric Musselman with his muscles, I guess. He's wanted aptly to, named. Wanted to be a big part of the story. <laughs> wanted everyone talking about him and how he looks decent with his shirt off. 
loser Eric Musselman. Okay, well, how about another head coach making storylines? Um, Tobin Anderson, head coach of FDU, of course, two nights before playing Purdue, said this, put it all on the line, and then they walked the walk. Hey, hey. I don't want this. I don't want Purdue to see this, right? I walked in breakfast this morning, Cam. What did you say to me, Cam? Where's Cam? Where's Cam? Where's Cam? The more I watch Purdue, the more I think we can beat him. Let's go shock the world. Let's go do this. Hey, enjoy this one. Enjoy this one. Be humble, right? Be humble. Enjoy this one. We go back. We're headed to Columbus the more I watch Purdue, the more I think we can beat them. I want Purdue to see this. And they did exactly that. Mm-hmm. And that's a massive winner. Massive winner. So big, are you all right winner. with that one? Yeah, I'm okay with that okay. one. I'm okay with that one because what was the response from the team? They were like, they were in. They were buying they in. They were drinking hole. the Kool-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> he knew he was playing to his guys. It was about his guys, muscle women, about himself. All right. Uh, losers. Blue Bloods. At the NCAA tournament, uh, legacy programs out Duke, Kentucky. You mentioned it, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Maybe CBS is a loser here a little bit because, listen, you want to see those big teams. The big teams are the teams that draw, and a lot of the big names, at least from a team perspective, are out. But we got a winner for March Madness, and it's our guy Charles Davis. In yes, the crowd. This is awesome. Wearing Tennessee Volunteers gear, like bright orange. He was doing it the jam. right way. Charles Davis, we got to catch up with him as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Talk about that experience. It was Tennessee beating Duke, I believe, that day. Very, very exciting. Glad our guy got to uh, support his team. Tennessee on might the be ground. my team moving forward. Let's I think just they have to be our back team. Charles Davis. We'll revisit that in the wake of They got FAU um, in a couple of days. A four seed versus a nine seed is doable. So we'll see you in the Elite Eight then. Go for Charles. Um, loser, Jonathan Druin. Did you see this? No. What oh happened with Jonathan God. Druin? Get on the internet, buddy. He was benched for the entire game for missing a team meeting. So he was two minutes late to the team meeting. Um, head coach Marty St. Louis said, buddy, too bad. So he sat the entire game. He Was he on the bench? He's the first player Ooh. to tally zero. Point zero zero seconds of ice time in a game for disciplinary reasons since Sam Reinhardt, March 28th, first Columbus. Two minutes late to a meeting. Doesn't matter. You're bench, bud. That's tough. I believe he's an unrestricted free agent. I think his time there is probably over if that is indeed the case. Uh, my NHL winner, Alex Kerfoot, scoring an overtime winner. Mm-hmm. Big moment for him. Maybe something to turn things around. Kerfoot not known to bury, to bury in a spot like that where you can Quite literally, put a Against extra point in the standings for your team. Very, very excited for Alexander Kerfoot. And uh, the UFC, Leon Edwards, is a winner. I don't know if you watched that fight, but uh, it was definitely a fluke. Last time he fought Kamaru Usman, he stole the title from him in the last like minute, I think, with a head kick knockout that like was probably the biggest moment of the entire UFC calendar year last year. And he was an underdog again because, yeah, it was a fluke. And he just went out there and completely outclassed Kamara Usman, who has been thought of as maybe the best welterweight of all time. And maybe a winner then is George St. Pierre, our guy, because Kamara was coming for that title as the welterweight goat. But now two straight losses and one being a pretty decisive one at the hands of Leon Edwards. Uh, good weekend for welterweights not named Kamara Usman. Okay. I got a big loser. The Calgary Flames. Really? They suffered their 26th one goal loss this season, That's setting tough. a single season franchise record. 
I don't know what's going on. They might as well, if it gets to one goal game, just throw in the towel. They they just simply cannot win one goal games. And they had another one OT loss against the Stars on Saturday, setting there, making history. So if you're there, you get to see history, but not in a good way for the Calgary Flames. Last winner for me, the Melnick family. Over 900 Schmel mm-hmm. being estimated for the price point. Pretty good payday for the Melnicks coming. Selling the team, getting the bag. Went from 400 million to 900 in the last couple of years, as Frank said in the last uh, last block. That is a lot of money coming in for the Ottawa Senators. Wow. I got a couple quick ones too. Um, winners Arizona because Purdue's performance kind of erased the fact that theirs was the worst subset um, after they lost to Princeton. So thanks. Arizona gets a tiny win because of Purdue's loss. Sure. Uh, losers, whiteboards. There's a photo of a massive hole punched through Purdue's whiteboard in the locker room. So tough day to be a whiteboard. Um, winners, Adam Shank for that lefty shot on. He lost. Yeah, but that shot was Immaculate. He had to shoot lefty from beside a tree because there's no other opportunity. I don't know why he didn't just do an unplayable, but he flips his club over, plays lefty, punches out to try to get up and down from there. But yeah, he lost. But Adam Shank, also nicknamed as Bunker. Um, so oh, that's why. I like him a lot for that. Um, I think that was it for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's it, that's it for me. Well, winner, Princeton, of course. Houston Astros also losers because Jose Altuve broke his thumb at the World Baseball Yeah, he's out Classic. for two months. That sucks. Um, oh, one more to shout out. Um, University of New Brunswick, uh, winners of men's U sports hockey title. 3 nothing win this past weekend, defeating the Alberta Golden Bears. So it's championship season in hockey and now basketball. They got a little dynasty going on out there. They sure do. I actually attended a U sports finale. the ninth time finale. that they won the, they won the, the cup. In 60 years. Pretty good. Ninth time in 60 years? Yeah, not bad. It's like winning <laughs> nine nine times is pretty it's significant. Good. It's good. I, I thought you were going to say like nine and like 15 or something. Well, in the 60-year history of the tournament. Um, all right. So we're going to talk to Michael Grange on the other side of the break, break down the Raptors split weekend, talk about his article with um, talking about Shea and Steve Nash legacy there. We're going to do the Wake and Rake at 830. There's no Toronto sports, so you can send in your pick from whatever you fancy. We'll do all of that in the 8 o'clock hour on the Fan Morning Show.